Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and normally on Wednesday we do an interview show but we weren't here on Monday because of Juneteenth and we haven't done a parent to parent for a couple of weeks and I really enjoy doing the parent to parent talks. So today is a parent to parent day and we've got an amazing topic today. We're going to be talking specifically about how teaching techniques that you can use at home to teach your loved one who is on the autism spectrum. Because so often you guys will write in and we ask you to write in and tell us about what's going on at home. But so often you guys say, but how do I teach this? Like, what's the technique? How do I interact with my child to teach them something? And I know uh, when I started out, boy, that was really, really something that I was deeply interested in because I was a teacher and the things that I was doing, the teaching techniques that I was using weren't working with my child on the spectrum, which at some point made me question my parenting, made me question my teaching. It made me question on my darkest day whether my child could learn. I'm here to tell you that I learned that my child absolutely could learn. And I'm guessing that, that the same thing is true for your child because everyone can learn. It just takes some people longer to learn something. And in, so that means that the amount of time that you have to teach is different. So not everybody ends up in the same place, but everybody can learn. Um, so why don't we learn more techniques? So that's really fun. All right, we're gonna pause for just a second. I'm gonna remind you of a bunch of different things. First of all, you can write in with your comments right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. And I, I think we're, there's so much to cover. There probably won't be a lot of time for interaction or answer certain questions, but we'll see what we can do. Um, also want to remind you that this, the entire show will be available in podcast format wherever you get your podcasts, but also the video of this, both the short version of this show and the long version of this show will be available on YouTube. So you can find us at youtube.com slash autism live. All right. Uh, so having said all of that, let's, uh, what I'm going to do, oh, you know what? I just realized I don't have the, the thing to advance, Traven. I don't have a keyboard. I wasn't even thinking about that. Um, so he's going to get that for me. And while he does that, I'm going to remind you guys of what is happening on tomorrow's show. Tomorrow's show, we are live with Let's Talk Movies with Moira and Shannon. And so we are very excited to be doing these shows live. I don't know how long we're going to do that, but definitely we've done the last few live and it was so much fun that we've decided to do a few more live. And I can tell you that there are many things that we're planning on reviewing tomorrow, not the least of which is The Little Mermaid, the new one. Uh, so if you're interested in our reactions to that, um, plus a bunch of other things, I uh, have been forced to watch Renfield, which one never would have thought that that would have happened. Uh, but there are a couple of other little surprise things that we've uh, both watched as well that we'll be giving you in her, uh, our opinions about that, which is always fun because, you know, Moira is, well, she's a lot nicer than I am. Let's just say that. As a person, she's nicer than I am. Uh, and her 
taste in things is a little bit different than mine. We often agree, but we often uh, do not agree. So there we go. Uh, so very, very fun. Okay, so having said that, uh, and then on Friday, we'll be playing a Stories from the Spectrum that you guys can check out as well. Okay, so <laughs> back to what we were chatting with. I don't know if I've mentioned this, but we've got a new show. I'm not sure how soon we're going to be starting, but uh, we have a new show that we're going to be debuting. It's kind of we're reformatting an old show that we used to do called Autismo y Familia, which will be entirely in Espanol, and I'm very proud and excited about that. Clearly, I will not be hosting that hour, but we have a very surprised, very foo-foo, she-she, wonderful guest. I, I don't think I'm allowed to say yet, but she's very recognizable um, that's going to be coming in to do that for us. So that's coming, and we'll give you more news about that as we whittle it down to that. But uh, let's talk about teaching techniques, shall we? Uh, so, oh, I, I already advanced it once. Okay, so 10 teaching, and this is going to be the fast version. I'm going to go through this really fast. I'm not going to explain the different things because Trayvon has tasked me with doing this in under a minute. I'm going to see if I can. You know me, very unlikely. But then I'm going to go through and explain all of them. So, 10 teaching techniques to use at home with children on the spectrum. This is a parent-to-parent -parent talk. We're starting with disclaimers. Uh, this is to help you to educate to learn more about these techniques, All of, the, but get more education. All of these techniques should be used with reinforcement. I think that that goes without saying, but let's not let it go without saying. And none of these techniques should be used in any way punitive or as a punishment, okay? Those are the disclaimers. So number one, chaining, great technique. Google it to find out or watch the whole video. Number two, visual prompts. And we gave you a link here of a place that you can go to to find uh, exactly what we have on the screen. Number three, token economy. See that money that I have there? We're gonna talk about, you're on a token economy right now, money, we're gonna talk about that. Number four, make a contract. With some of our kids, this is a great thing to do. Number five, there's something called the no, no, prompt. It sounds punitive. It is not. I'll explain that in just a second. Number six, DTT. That's discrete trial uh, training. And it looks weird, but we'll talk about when and why you would use that. And then, of course, NET, which is natural environment training. Very popular, very great thing to use. Number eight is behavior momentum. We'll, we'll tell you why we're showing a picture of a swimming pool. And number nine is prompts. There's a whole list of them, full physical, partial physical, Physical, verbal, text, visual, gestural, sign language, and facial prompts. Okay. We'll talk about those in a second. And number 10 is modeling. No, I'm not talking about runway. I'll explain to you what I mean in a second. So we got them. That's the 10. How'd I do, Traven? Did I get it in under a minute? Probably not. Close, though. I'm getting closer. Okay. Let's go back to the beginning. At, at, close enough. Okay. Let's go back to the beginning and let's you know, really delve into these so that hopefully I can put these in your back pocket so that you've got a way to be working with the people that you love on the autism spectrum. Okay, so let's take a minute here with the disclaimers. Whoops. Um, so the first one that I want to say is that I can't possibly teach you how to do all these techniques in this next hour. Like, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it to get you kind of, you know, get your interest peaked, but then you should go and learn to do these things outside of the time when you are involved with the person that you love that's on the spectrum. There's lots of different ways to do that. Let me make a couple of recommendations for you. We talk a lot on this program about the Autism Partnership Foundation, that they have an RBT training that's a 40-hour class. RBT stands for Registered Behavior Technician, and anybody can do it, and it's for free. You really can't beat that. And they are real super committed to keeping it free. And I love them for that. I want to smack them on the lips with a big kiss because it's a wonderful thing. So if you are sitting there saying, I can't do this, well, let me tell you, you can. You can take that training and then you can use these techniques and you can do it for free and you can do it in your own time. So there's that. Go to Autism Partnership Foundation. I also want to say that the one that I did was through the Institute for Behavioral Training, but there's a cost to that one. Um, and if you're, think, you know, if you're thinking of going and getting your actual certification for a registered behavior technician, you really could start with either one of those, but there is more things that you have to do to get the registered behavior technician. 
you have to eventually be working with someone who's already a board certified behavior analyst. Um, and then there are a certain number of hours that you have to do working with actual individuals. You know, So if you want to do the whole certification, it's much more than that. But I say to parents, I mean, you know, especially if it's free, why wouldn't you want to be able to learn these techniques backwards and forwards? So that's get more education about these. But one of the, as we're running through this fast, I have to say that all of these things you have to do with reinforcement. It's not just about the teaching technique, it's the teaching technique paired with reinforcement. And the reinforcement has to be meaningful to the individual. You know what Dr. Grampuchet always says, it has to be fair. It has to be fair. So they have to be reinforced, um, which means you're giving them something meaningful. Now, meaningful could be saying good job. Meaningful could be giving them tickles. Meaningful could be giving them a toy to play with during their break time. But it's got to be something that keeps them motivated and makes it fun for them. Don't just go in with these techniques and go, I'm just going to do the technique as it's written in the book. Um, this is not the plan. It's got to be super fun and reinforcing for them. And absolutely, not, I just want to say this and be clear about it. You should not use any of these techniques to belittle someone, to punish them, to take away something from them. Like, no, that is not what these techniques are for. Um, so no. And if you're doing that, you're doing it against everyone's advice, but especially mine. Okay, so those are our disclaimers. Now we can get into these different things. Okay, so chaining we've talked about here before on the show. And basically, it, imagine, I mean, if you're watching right now, you see that there is a, a chain link that's, that's on the screen there. Because anything that you want to learn usually is a, a chain of behaviors. Let's say that you want to learn how to crochet or you want to learn how to downhill ski, or you want to learn how to ice skate, uh, and you want to learn how to ice skate backwards, right? Um, then you probably would take a lesson from somebody who is an expert and already knows how to do this, and they're going to teach you the different steps to be able to do this activity. I don't know how to skate backwards, but I'm going to imagine that, that if somebody is going to teach it, that they're going to teach it in different steps, right? Well, chaining says, let's look at this really logically. First of all, we have to know what the different steps are, but then let's think about what's best for the learner. Should, and people, if we're doing pure chaining, we're either going to start from the front or the back. So um, part of the problem with learning anything, and the reason why all about the reason why I don't know how to skate backwards, is because it was hard, and nobody showed me the step by step, and I didn't get to the point where it was reinforcing enough for me to keep doing it, right? And we don't want that to happen for our loved one who's on the autism spectrum. We want them to get to the success so that they'll still want to do it. So one of the examples I always use is toothbrushing. Like, it's kind of non-negotiable, right? Because if we don't teach our child how to brush their teeth, we're going to run into problems that are painful for them later on. Um, where, you know, maybe they have to have a tooth pulled or they have a toothache, right? We don't want that. So we want good teeth hygiene. Um, but it's a lot of steps. And a lot of our kids get really frustrated and they don't want to do it, right? So chaining says, let's look at the learner, let's look at the tasks, and, and let's make a task analysis. So maybe there's 12 steps to it. And let me tell you, this gets debated. How many steps are there to toothbrushing, right? Because where do you start? Do you start with taking the cap off the, the toothpaste? Or are you deciding that's not even in play right now? We're really just at the motion for the toothbrushing. But you talk to some families and they go, no, let's like get the tooth, you know, opening the toothpaste too. So you make your list of, okay, step one. And it really causes you, you can look these up online, by the way. You can look up anything and say, what's the task analysis for toothbrushing? It's just you can customize it afterwards to what you want because um, not everybody agrees. So you make your list or you look it up and, and decide what you want your list to do. And strict chaining says you're either going to start at the first step and you're going to teach just the first step, right? So that's all you attempt to teach, right? So if the first step is twisting the, the cap off of the toothpaste, then you would go about teaching the child just to do that. And then the rest of the steps you would do for them. So you would squeeze the toothpaste out onto the toothbrush. 
you, and you wouldn't try to teach it to them while you were doing it. You would squeeze the toothpaste out. You would put a little water on the toothbrush. You would brush their teeth, right? You would, you know, tell them when to spit. You would do everything. When they were done, you would wipe their mouth off for them. You would rinse the toothbrush off for them. You would put the cap back on the toothpaste. But the whole time you'd be praising them saying, good job, good job, good job. You're brushing your teeth, right? But all, the only expectation would be on the first step. And then the other choice would be that you start with the last step, which maybe the last step is, you know, putting the toothbrush and the toothpaste away. That you would do everything else for them, and, but then you would teach them how to put the toothbrush back into the toothbrush holder and you'd be like, dude, high five, man, you're brushing your teeth, what a big boy, right? Um, and, and, and then it would be like links on the chain that whichever direction you were going, you would add the next one in. I would say to you as a parent and as a teacher that sometimes I believe in going with whatever the strong suit is first. <laughs> so it might be that your child likes spitting. And so we start with the spitting, right? <laughs> and then we do everything else for them. But my point is, is that you can teach almost anything this way. And if it's complicated and there's lots of steps, chaining is often a great way to do it. But the keys are that you only teach that one little section, but you still get them to the reinforcer for doing the whole task. Now, sometimes the kids learn so fast that they start automatically picking up other parts of it for themselves. Like you might be brushing their teeth and they might take the toothbrush from you and want to do it themselves. This is all good right? But we're not in that thing where we're battling everything with them and expecting them to do 32 steps and be successful at all of it to be at a reinforcer. We just don't do that. Chaining is a great way to teach anything and build somebody's self-esteem. So chaining, uh, an amazing thing to do. Okay. Number two is creating visual prompts. Now, I, if you watch this show, you know I talk to you guys about visual schedules, which is a visual prompt, right? Um, and visual prompts in general, because a lot of times, first of all, our kids are, tend to be very visual. This is not everybody, right? Um, this is why there's 10 techniques, because maybe some of these aren't gonna be the strong suit. But <clears throat> I will make the case that the world is very visual especially because the world that we live in is so multilingual and diverse, right? So if you, we, we're directly across the street from a target. And if I go to walk across the street to target, I'm going to run into like 10 different visual prompts on my way over there, right? Not the least of which is the thing that the sign that says to cross push button here, and then I have to wait for it to show me the little white walking man, right? Um, that's a visual prompt. And the, you know, then I'm gonna walk in and there's a Starbucks right inside Target, and there are signs that say order here, right? Uh, those are all visual prompts. So we live in a world of visual prompts, and I feel like it's a great, strength for a lot of our kids. And it also translates well into the outside world. And I don't know about you, but I hate it when I go into a place and I don't see visual prompts. And, I, and I'm like, where do I stand? Where's, where, where's the line? How, where do I go to order? Like I feel all discombobulated and it brings up anxiety for me. Imagine if you're a kiddo and you have a communication disorder where you're learning to communicate your needs, right? But you don't have it all under wraps, which no five-year-old does, but especially a five-year-old on the spectrum, you know, this is, this is hardcore stuff. And if I don't have the way to communicate, I'm feeling anxious. I don't know what to do. I want to know what's happening. I need this. You know, it, it's pretty much your every minute of every day, right? And it doesn't have to be. What we see is when we create a visual schedule or visual prompts to help the people in our population to know, regardless of if they're three or 33, to be able to know what's coming next, what do I need to do next, that the anxiety level goes down. I, you know, now we have ways but it used to be that we would have MapQuest, that we would print out MapQuest and your friend would be in the seat next to you. And 
I would always say to my husband, like, can you give me two steps down the road so that I know which lane I need to be in? Don't surprise me with anything. I want to know. And this really is what we're giving to our kids, that this is what's coming up. So take a look at the example that I've got here for you on the screen. Um, and it's just a visual prompt for what it says, let's get dressed. And this is from livingwellwithautism.com that you can go and see the stuff that they have offered. So it's got a card that says, let's get dressed. And it shows somebody in the act of putting on a shirt, but it, then it has a visual with words of underwear, shorts, t-shirt, socks, and shoes. Now you can customize this however you want, and you could do this with actual pictures, but this is good on so many different levels because the child's going to know, or the teen or however old they are, is going to know when they were successful. How many times have we all, I'm putting my hand up as a parent, said to a child, go get dressed, and they come back and, you know, they've got one shoe on, one sock on, right? Because they don't really know what success is going to look like. But this lines it out really easily. It's like, you know, here are the things that we need to do to be successful. And if they forget, they can look back and go, oh, right, I don't have my T-shirt. Or I've only put on one sock. Or I don't know where my shoe's on. It helps them so that they don't have to remember everything right now. But it's a great teaching strategy because there's text paired with it too. There's a picture of underwear and it says underwear. And I'm telling you, this is like forming the Grand Canyon, that in the beginning, we don't expect them to be readers, but we're giving them this thing and they start to associate, oh, this word stands for this. And this word stands for this. And, you know, it's those drops that create the Grand Canyon. So visual prompts I'm telling you, and you can do this with a visual schedule. You can do it with any task. Um, we had stuff all over our house when my son was in early intervention um, that things were labeled and there were like in the bathroom, there, there was a thing, a visual schedule that said what the toothbrushing um, steps were. Um, we had a visual schedule for using the bathroom. Um, we, you know, there was a, a visual schedule about what it looks like when your room looks clean. I'm telling you, these things help, helps with expectations, helps with memory. So use visual prompts. If you don't believe me, it's summer right now. If you are having a hard time and I don't, it doesn't matter whether your child is three or 10, 13 or 22, if you're struggling right now because it's summer, I would tell you that part of it probably is that there's this unknown, right? You go to school and it's very regimented. Okay, nine o'clock, I do this. And often in the school, they have a schedule that says, this is what we're doing at this time. Or when they're older, they get a schedule that says, this is when this class is, right? So I would ask you to make a visual schedule for tomorrow, just for tomorrow, show it to your child. I encourage you to have them be involved in it and say, should we go swimming at this time or should we go swimming at this time, right? Have them help you make the schedule. I always like to do these in the beginning on the back of wrapping paper where it's white, you know, and put it on the wall so that everybody can see it and then we consult it on the day up and see how much better the day goes for you. See how much better the day goes for your child, teen, or adult and see where everybody's anxiety level is. You will be a believer. By the way, you can also get these on your phone. They have apps now. You can do all of this. But visual prompts are a great way to teach something. You want to teach getting dressed? You can chain it, and you can also visual prompt it. Okay, number three, token economy. So I mentioned before that you right now are on a token economy. You know what the token economy is? That you're getting paid money for your job. That is a token economy. Because a token economy says you're going to do something and we're going to pay you in a marker that you can use to exchange for things that you want. Well, that's what money is. Money is a token economy. It, money itself, the actual piece of paper, really isn't worth anything without this structure that we've all created, which is an agreement that that's how much this thing is worth, right? Um, so... Token economies work and you are a part of one already and you kind of are very well trained to it. We all are. 
So it's not a bad thing to introduce to your kiddo, teen, or adult on the spectrum because it gives them a way. Here's what token economy is great for. Because if I'm doing something and I want pretty immediate reinforcement for something because I know that that's what's best is an immediate reinforcer um, that, you know, like praise or things like that. But sometimes you're in a place where you can't give the thing that you really want to give to make the thing happen. Uh, years ago, we went to the LA zoo to film. Uh, we're not showing it right now for a bunch of different reasons, but, um, but my son was a little bit older and we were there with a younger boy and, uh, and, and his dad, and we were filming and going around the zoo. And I realized that I wanted a certain level of behavior from my son. I wanted him to stay keyed in and be nice to this little boy and that I was going to be having a lot of things going on that I need to parent in this moment. I didn't have a nanny with me, right? But we have a camera crew and I have to be responsive to them and we got to get film done. Um, But I, you know, I also want to be a good parent and I want to be good for everybody, but it splits your focus. And I realized I got to make this reinforcing for him. And and I talked to a behaviorist right before I left. I was like, I don't have uh, a token economy. I don't, I don't. And they were like, oh, no, no, no. It's a simple thing. You can use your pen and a hand and, you know, say to him every time I see you, because my son was older at this point. Uh, but every time I see you do something good, I'm going to make a mark on my hand. And if it gets, I don't remember what the number was. I think it was like 30. If we get to 30, then we're going to, as soon as we leave here, we're going to go directly to in and out which for those of you who don't know here in Los Angeles, it's a great drive through uh, burger and fries place where they make the fries right there in front of you. They peel the potatoes, make the fries, right? Uh, and they ha- and they make a burger that um, you can get that's not in a bun, that it's a, they, um, what's, I don't know what it's called. It's called something. Um, but they wrap it in lettuce. Lettuce wrap, I guess is what it's called. Anyway, my son loved this. So he, you know, he's all in. He, he wants in and out, in and out is a treat. So, um, and, and what I've done is set up a circumstance where I want to see a lot of really good behavior. And I've left it kind of open-ended because he was younger. Uh, bef- years before that, we were very specific that, you know, and you can make it work that you're adding tokens or you're taking tokens away, depending on what you want to do. But it all translates into something. Because I can remember there was a time when there were behaviors we didn't want to see, that we would go into the grocery store and he would have three stickers. We're starting out with three stickers. And if I see this, this, or this, which was you know whining or walking away without me being there, and there was one other thing, um, that if he engaged in it, then he would lose a sticker. And in order to get a treat at the end, he had to have at least one sticker. Right, so there's lots of different ways that you can work in a, a token economy. We also in kindergarten, he was on a a thing all day where he could get stickers, and if he got a certain number of stickers at the end of the day, he could have either uh, mommy money or a daddy dollar. Right, we had we made fake money with our pictures on them, and once he had forty of those, the day he got forty of them, we would go to Disneyland. So it's a way of making something reinforcing for something you're working towards that you have to give the reinforcer later on. And it might be that it's just a small thing, like at the grocery store where I wanted to give the reinforcer at the end of the grocery store experience or like at the zoo that I wanted him to earn the in and out, right? Um, or it can be something like it took 40 days for him to earn to go to Disneyland. But it gives them... Um, a sense of understanding what the rules are, right? Um, And that they have a certain amount of control over it, that he could predict when he was going to go to Disneyland by doing certain behaviors, right? So it empowered him. I I know sometimes people go, oh, it just seems like, you know, um, you're making them work. Well, the truth of the matter is we all work towards our token economies, whether we're cognizant of it or not, but it is how the world works. And there is something powerful in that, that you have control over the situation. That if, and, and here's the thing, if they don't want to do it because the, whatever the reward is at the end, they're not going to do it, which is they're, them having control. And that doesn't make them wrong. If we see that, if we see that we are not getting to the reinforcer, then we got to make the reinforcer more reinforcing and figure out what would excite them enough to be willing to, you know, to do whatever it is. 
I, I will say that, you know, people often say to me, but, you know, what if they don't want to do it at all? And, you know, I mean, I, that is certainly an option. You know, my son could have said, I don't feel well, and so I don't want to go to the zoo. And it wouldn't have mattered what I was offering for a reinforcer. So part of it is that it is this negotiation between you. And, and, and you really have to think about, do I have something that could make it fair? Going back to Dr. Grampiche, do I have something that could make it fair? And it might be that you have to make the reinforcer more in reinforcing. But if you don't have a reinforcer that's reinforcing enough, I would ask you to go back and ask, why am I asking them to do this thing that they really super don't want to do? Um, now, before you all write and say, but what about school? They super don't want to go to school. School has to be reinforcing. And if school is pure drudgery, you need to find out why. Um, because it shouldn't be. School, there should be enough fun going at school that they want to go. And if there isn't, the problem is not with your child. The problem is with school. And it's part of our job as parents to figure out what that thing is and make it more reinforcing for them. Okay, so, um, and, and this is our, we've already sort of broached this a little bit, that it is a discussion. Now, um, I'm gonna have soon, uh, there are two authors uh, that are gonna, at least one of them is gonna be with us. They've got a book out um, all about how to make a contract with your kids and how to make it stick. But everything is a negotiation in, right, in life, right? That uh, if with our older kids who have a little bit more verbal understanding, it isn't necessarily just for people who are vocally verbal, right? But, um, but it's about what their receptive understanding is. You can make a contract. If you think about like, what are the things that you want to see this, this like really puts it in hard terms about, let's say that they're constantly fighting with their sibling and you really would like to see the fighting stop, right? You can break it down and make a contract about here are the behaviors that we would like to see here, are the behaviors that we don't want to see. If we don't see these behaviors, or if we do see these behaviors, this is what we will do for you. If you think about it, it's really about putting in writing that what the reinforcement will be if certain things are in place. And a lot of our kids, if you have a teenager who's really in that phase where you see that control is a very, very big deal to them, then I really want to recommend the contract phase. I'm going to... Um, have that guest come on soon to talk about their book because they really line it out in their book about, I just went to a presentation recently uh, about how to make a contract, what some of the pitfalls are, some of the ways that we make a contract that doesn't hold water and that it's not good for everybody. So there are very specific things about this, but you can enter into a contract with your child. And I mean, written out contract and everybody signs it and you act like regular contracts, right? And it means that not only will there be an expectation that they need to do things, but there will be an expectation for you as well, um, which I think gives autonomy and tells everybody what the expectation is and helps people to feel empowered. Um, because in a contract, both parties have to do their part or the contract is broken, right? So it's not a bad strategy at all. Okay. Uh, okay. There's something called a no, no prompt. Um, and it sounds like it's a no, no, right? Um, and this is very important that I want to be clear that the no is an informational no. The first time somebody said that to me, I was like, what does that mean? What does an informational no mean? And it means that I'm telling you that the thing that you're doing isn't the right answer, but I'm not putting any judgment or punishment on you. So if we were playing a game, let's say that we blindfolded me and, um, and we're playing that hot and cold game where I'm trying to find something and I'm moving through the room and my eyes are closed and you're saying to me, oh, you're really cold, you're really cold, right? It's not with, with judgment like you're cold and you're an idiot, right? You would never do that. And it's the same thing with the no. Um, so the no is, is as flat and uninteresting as it can possibly be, and it's not um, punishing. So why do we do a no-no prompt? So let's say that, um, and we're going to talk about other prompting here in a minute. Um, and it's very easy for parents and people who have not been trained to start 
when they realize the power of prompts, it becomes their everything. And then they over prompt, where they'll just prompt, prompt, prompt. And one of the things that I have learned from my friends who are adults on the spectrum and from my son who is an adult, um, they will say, you know, one of the biggest things is that after I started ca um, catching on, to and learning things, right, that people kept treating me like I couldn't possibly do it. So we have to begin to fade at some point. And there was one gentleman uh, that we used to have on, the autistic genius, and he would say, if you ask me to do something or you ask me a question, you got to wait like count to seven, eight, nine before you reiterate it because I just need that processing time, right? So we don't want to keep prompting because then the person becomes prompt um, dependent. But we also don't wanna have somebody spending a whole lot of time doing something that isn't gonna get them to the reinforcer because then we're gonna get to frustration. So if, for example, let's say that I have these um, three things on the desk and, and I say to somebody, touch cup. Now, I've done a whole bunch of things to help them to learn cup, but now I've introduced these two things that they may not know what these two things are. And I say touch cup. And if they go to get this one, I can say no. And now notice it's not a no. It's, it's just a no. And I'm not touching them. I'm not doing anything. I'm just giving them the information. That's the wrong answer, right? And sometimes they'll still pick it up, in which case we would put that down and say, touch cup. We don't, we don't say, oh, you got it wrong, or it's this one, right? But, but we, would, we, would put it, we would put it down and we would say, touch cup again, right? And they might go over here to do this and I might say to them, no, right? Very, no judgment, right? And if I've already gone through two tries with them and, they, and I gave them two no's, now, to be kind, I'm going to prompt them. And I might do it, and we'll talk about prompts in a second, I might do a physical prompt or a partial physical prompt. I might go touch cup. I might cheat and, and tap it so that they know, oh, this is the right answer. Okay, so all it is is giving them two tries with the information. Uh, but, you know, it's a little bit like the game show buzzer thing going, ah, except we're not doing the shock of that, right? We're just saying, no, that's not it. Uh, I love to listen to Wait, Wait, uh, Don't Tell Me on NPR. And so they'll ask somebody a quiz question and they'll go, is that the one you really want to go for? Because it's giving them clues, right? Um, and this is kind of what it is, but we're simply saying an informational no. And if we say no twice, we're not going to let them hang out in frustration. We're going to give them a prompt. I might point to it. I might show them a picture of a cup. I might take their hand and go, cup, good job. And now they get to the, a reinforcer. Not the big, big reinforcer, but a reinforcer. Good job. It's a cup, right? And then I'm going to do it again. I might change the, 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 the direction of it and I go touch cup. And the child might go here and I'll go, no. And, uh, and, and, and then they put it back and I go touch cup. They go here, no, touch cup. Yes, that's the, so it's a way of saying that this is the right answer. Okay, so the no, no prompt, but don't use it as a punishment, don't use it with judgment, but it is a really quick way of teaching somebody um, something because they start to get it. Oh, this is the thing you wanted me to touch when you said cup. And eventually that turns into understanding, oh, this is a cup. Okay, so DTT. So what I just showed you when I took the three things, that was DTT. So DTT is discrete trial teaching. And what that means is that I'm going to take everything else off the table and I'm going to teach you something in a very unusual way that makes it clear what the cup is. I can apply this to a million different things, right? But I'm taking whatever the concept, the beginning concept of something is, and I'm isolating it for you. Now in the beginning, I just have the cup. There is nothing else but the cup and I say touch cup. And you go, that's weird looking. Whenever you're looking at, at um, video of ABA, it's so disheartening to me because most of the time what you're gonna see if it looks weird to you is DTT. Cause DTT looks weird. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that it's because it is weird. It's not from actual life. And people go, well, then why are we doing that? 
for the same reason that when somebody's teaching you to cha-cha, they don't teach you in the middle of a dance floor with a disco ball turning with people dancing around you. I mean, I guess sometimes people learn that way, but if you've gone for dance lessons, they're not going to teach it to you that way. They're going to isolate it. They're going to put little cut out steps on the floor and they're going to say, all right, let's count to four. And, and you go, but I wanted to dance, right? But this is the first step along the way. So first we count to four, then we put our feet in the position of the little shoes on the thing. Then maybe we get to do it backwards with somebody. Eventually we add in music. And then somewhere down the line, you get to dance to music with the disco ball right? But the beginning of it, of isolating, okay, first put your left foot and then put your, now can some people just learn from watching somebody else cha-cha? Yes. And God bless them. They absolutely can. But for those of us who have two left feet, what are we supposed to do? Never dance? Well, that would be a shame, right? And for your kiddo who maybe doesn't know how to read, are we going to say, oh, they don't ever get to read. They don't ever get to speak. They don't know. But the DTT, DTT step is the beginning. It should not be the be all end all. I get so disheartened when people tell me, oh, well, my child had 40 hours of DTT for three years. And I go, surely you don't mean that. Surely you mean that they had ABA and that some of the time was with DTT. And people tell me, no, they sat at the table and they said, touch cup for 40 hours a week for four years. And that makes me want to light my hair on fire and run screaming into the street. That's not the ticket. That is not the ticket at all. Um, there needs to be a mix of this one and the next one that I'm going to talk about. However, however, I hate, loathe, and despise it when people tell me, oh, I'm not allowing DTT to be done. We're only doing NET. Where I don't agree with DTT, it's too weird, it's too awful, it's too, you know, I don't... Whoever says touch cup um, to anybody in real life, it doesn't happen. And I go, of course it doesn't happen. Uh, because, you know, nor do you ever go to a dance and they have little, you know, shoes on the floor with numbers on them. That doesn't happen either. It doesn't mean it's not a good teaching technique to start for somebody who's struggling. And the fact of the matter is that a lot of our kids are struggling. So the analogy that I always like to give people is that, look, ABA and DTT, it's one of those things like you would do for the SATs. A DTT is to ABA what steering wheel is to car. DTT is a part of ABA, and I think it's a valid part of ABA, um, but it is not the whole thing. I always say, if you were going to go to Vegas, could you go with just your steering wheel? No, you could not. But could you get to Vegas in the car without a steering wheel? I mean, I guess it would take you a really long time and you'd have to have expertise and tools to take the place of the thing. It wouldn't be the ideal way to go. DTT should be a portion of early learning for anything um, that requires isolation in order to learn it. But it should not be a part of anything other than the beginning part of learning a task. So if I have a three-year-old and I want the three-year-old to learn, um, let's use the example of that this is a cup, right? That's, that's what we were doing before was a DTT moment of discriminating a, between a cup and these two things that... <clears throat> excuse me, when presented with these things, eventually I'm going to be able to say, this is a cup. These things are not right. Um, but eventually, I mean, and eventually, I mean, if, if what I'm teaching is cup with a child, so I might do this until they're getting it right with a cup. But then 30 seconds later, I'm going to go and do NET with this. I'm going to put this into the natural environment for the child. Now, later on, let's say that I'm trying to teach algorithms to somebody because they're doing geometry and physics and all of this stuff, right? I can still use DTT because I can slice it into little moments and I can say, hey, let's just isolate this part of it and then let's isolate this part of it and then let's put it together, right? Um, and put it so that you can do it on the test. I can still use the principles of DTT whether it's for a three-year-old or a 30-year-old because uh, people will say to me, well, DTT is only for little kids. 
No, DTT at its heart is isolating what the thing is you want to learn. When we were talking about skiing, I'm going to go on the ski hill and they're going to isolate it for me. They're going to make it super simple for me. And they're going to say, okay, you know, what we're going to do right now is we're just going to bend our knees and we're going to push our feet in because that's the stopping. They're not teaching me all of skiing right now. They're just teaching me that right before they take me up on the hill. That's, that's DTT. So at its heart. So DTT important if we're trying to teach something um, that somebody hasn't been able to learn all on their own. Really important uh, teaching technique. But then we get into NET. NET is natural environment training. So I might do the thing here in the DTT with the cup and do the, you know, and touch the cup and yay, you touch the cup, it's a cup. What do we do with the cup? We drink out of the cup and then we say, okay, let's take a break. And I say, okay, uh, should we, what, what shall we play? Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. I listen to what they want to play. And then I say, okay, let's have a snack and let's play tea party. Do you want to play tea party? And we, we put out all the things and I say, um, can you hand me a cup? Which is totally something that would happen in life, right? And the child may automatically go and hand me the cup and, and we go, okay, I'm helping to ensure that they know what a cup is. But again, they may not know what the cup is. And I, and so I might, and, and so they might put a plate in front of me and I go, no, can you hand me a cup? And, and so now, you know, whatever. And I let them go through one more no before I prompt them and go, can you hand me a cup? And I show them the cup and that's more natural environment training. We need to do both, need to do both all the time. And, and I think that this is super important for parents because I would say to you, most of the time, leave the DTT to the people that are doing the good quality ABA with your kiddos, but you jump all over that NET. So find out what kinds of things are they working on this week. And, uh, you know, I used to say, let, let, let me know. We had clinics where I could, I could write it all down, but I would say, what are we working on right now? I once went to a seminar where a lady was saying to me, you know, whatever you're working on, put it on your refrigerator, put a little post-it note, write on it and put it on your refrigerator so that you remember. <laughs> and I remember covering my refrigerator because we were working on like 45 things. But for instance, one of the things that it said on the refrigerator was that on a given week, we were working on the color yellow for him to discriminate what the color yellow was. So they were doing it with him, DTT and NET, but it was my job as a mom to figure out wherever we were, whatever we, we were doing, how to squeeze in the color yellow in a way that sort of made sense. So we would be driving across town to go to speech therapy during the summer, and we would get to a stoplight and I would say, oh, oh, look, look, what color is it? Is it, uh, what color is it? Red? Is it green? Or is it yellow? What do we do when it's yellow? So now not only am I teaching yellow, but I'm teaching that yellow means that caution and slow down and it's about to turn red. So I'm, he's learning all of these different things. But then my favorite thing was that we would be in the grocery store and I'm telling you the grocery store aisle, that waiting thing, super hard, super. And you see people now Everywhere, what is everybody doing while they're in line? They're there and they're, they're scrolling through and they're on their phones because nobody likes to wait uh, while other people are chatting, right? So what do our kids get to do? They get up to mischief. So we would always play games in the line at the grocery store. And one of the games that we would play is I spy with my little eye. So whatever color he was working on that week, I'd go, I spy with my little eye, something yellow right? Whatever it was that he was working on. This is how you put what they're doing during the sessions into the natural environment. And you, uh, it's, it's kind of like a creativity test. How often I used to challenge myself, how often can I squeeze things in? Um, I, it just, that to me is like a fun activity. Like how often can I do that? And it, you know, you can do it with Legos. You can say, okay, let's sort them. And I want all of the yellow ones. Can you give me all of the yellow ones? And now I'm learning yellow. Uh, or let's build a yellow boat, right? There's so many different ways that you can make it NET. And really, they should be doing it too, but make it your business to inject it into everything that you're doing. 
NET, natural environment training. Okay, behavior momentum. Oh, this is a good one. Because um, sometimes when something is hard, it's almost like we need a little running jump to get our confidence going, right? So behavior momentum says that if you have a bunch of wins in a row, you're much more likely to be willing to try something that's hard for you. And I call it walking them into the, the, the um, shallow end of the pool instead of throwing them in the deep end. So if the child, let's say this summer you're having to learn the times tables, right? Um, and usually, not always, usually kids like zero is super easy. So they learn, oh, the answer zero times anything is zero. I don't have to memorize anything. It's just going to be zero, right? Some kids get that right. And other kids, that's a hard one. Um, and other kids learn, okay, one times whatever is whatever the number is, right? So that becomes a little bit easier for them. So if you're doing the timetables with them, and let's say that every week you're adding the next number up because you're sort of graduating the difficulty, but you're, you know, you're doing flashcards with them. And, and so you're on the fours, right? And you're saying four times three and they get stuck and they get frustrated and they're like, oh, right. So the next one that I would give, I might prompt them through, I get, might give them two tries and then prompt them and go, no, four times three is 12, but you're doing great. You're doing great. But then I would immediately give them an easy one. Okay, let's do four times zero. What's four times zero? And they go, well, it's zero. Yes, that's great. Okay, let's do four times one. What's four times one? And they know, okay, it's four. So I'm building that behavior momentum. I'm giving them a big reinforcer because they've got something that's right. And I'm building this momentum so that I'm going to once again say, what's four times three? And some, I don't know why it is, but when we have confidence and we feel like I can do anything, we almost always can. So behavior momentum is you know, that they're frustrated. We back off of that. We give them something that we know that we can do. And, and there we go. And then suddenly they can do the thing. Now, sometimes this looks weird to people. Um, because, but it's only when people are awkward with it, because I've seen behavior technicians who are so brilliant with this, that they're kind of monitoring, they're working with the child and they're trying to do something and the child is struggling and getting frustrated. And so what they do is they use behavior momentum and they kind of divert them. But the trick here is that you, it's got to be fun and interesting and it can't be condescending, right? So um, there was a period of time when with my son, um, you know, he learned the body parts and he learned them pretty quickly. And, and, you know, and they would say, where's your nose? And he would, you know, where's your ear? Yeah, but like we always win, always get a reinforcer for that. But the tying the shoe thing was a little bit harder. And I remember one therapist was like, he was trying to tie his shoes and he was getting frustrated. He's like, no, man, you're doing great. Hey, where's your ear? And my son was like, what? And he's like, where's your ear? My ear's right there. He's like, dude, right. You know what's going on. Where's, where's your nose? Well, you know, here's your... But at a certain point, he was so far past that that couldn't be used anymore. So we don't just go back to like baby stuff, right? You got you to gotta have it be something that's within the context and that builds up their confidence, behavior momentum. Uh, really, really useful if you're having a hard time with something. And a, a really great technique to put in your back pocket as, as a parent that if you're asking them to do something and they're frustrated, instead of just pushing for them to do that, back the bus up a little bit and ask them to do something that you know that they can do. I always tell therapists to do this with parents, that the way to get you guys to get better at this is to give you something that they know that you already can do and then work you up to the hard thing because it works. It flipping works. Okay. Uh, prompts. Okay. Here's the whole list of prompts. Um, so there's full physical, a full physical prompt is that I literally motor you through it. So if I, uh, but I do this in a kind and gentle way that isn't harmful to the individual. Remember what our criteria was at the beginning. It can't be punishment, right? Um, so if I say touch cup and you, you know, just aren't getting it at all, I very gently take your hand. I very quickly touch the cup. It's not like I muscle you over and do it, but I go, good job, and I get you to the reinforcer. That is the whole thing behind prompts is that you quickly get somebody to the reinforcer. So full prompt is that I hand over hand and I, and I, and I do it 
good job, right? It should never feel like somebody's being manhandled. Um, okay, partial physical prompt is that I may get to the point where I just put one finger on you and it's like you have muscle memory. Oh, when she touches me, I do the cup, right? But here's the thing with prompts. With all of them, once they work, you have to start fading them out, right? And here's the other thing with prompts is if you have done something and it was working, let's say that I full physically prompted um, and you were able to do it and you, and you, then the next time I would, I would see, you know, can you do it on your own, right? I don't continue to just full physical prompt forever. I immediately start to fade. But if I see that you can't do it, then I'm going to go back to the last thing that worked. So if I say to you, touch cup, and we've established that you're having a hard time with it, and I full physical prompt, yay, you did it. And I go, touch cup, you're not making a move. I, the last thing that worked was a full physical prompt. But once I'm, you know, once I do this again, now I might try a partial where I just lightly put my fingers there, and I'm not doing a full physical, and I fade that to a finger, right? Um, a verbal... Um, is that I'm, you know, saying, actually saying touch cup is a, is a verbal uh, prompt that um, later on when your child is used to doing something like they're used to brushing their teeth, but they're forgetting a step and you can say, you know, put it on the brush, right? That's a verbal prompt to do something. And we need to remember to fade those. Oh my gosh, this is the thing that I am still guilty of that I will verbally prompt my child and he's like, mom, <laughs> you know, and I go, well, what am I doing? Right. Textural prompt would be holding up, um, the text and say, you know, brush your teeth or put the cap back on whatever, right. That would be a prompt. Visual prompts, which we talked about at the beginning are, you know, having pictures that are there. We want to eventually fade things to be appropriate to skill level and age level, but you're never going to get rid of all the visual prompts because our world is visual prompts, right? Gestural, boy, as a teacher, you know, we, we would point all the time and, you know, t you can tell people stop. That's a gestural prompt, right? We can use full sign language to prompt someone, but also your facial expression can prompt someone. I was queen of the doing the thing mm, to students who were behaving badly and it would put them right, you know, back into what they're supposed to be doing. So all of those things are ways that we can teach something, but responsibly we want to fade them to be as, as little as possible. Okay. So now number 10, modeling. And I said at the beginning, this is not about you doing a runway. But if anytime you want to teach something to someone, if you yourself do it, or you show somebody a video or a cartoon of somebody else doing it, that's what we call modeling. A lot of times this is really hard because the thing that you might be asking them to do, maybe you're not so good at. I look at all of our kids who have anxiety and struggle with that, and we don't have to look far to see that often one or both of the parents also is struggling with anxiety. This is one of the biggest responsibilities that we have as a parent is that we model for our people, you know, that are our children and the people in our family, what kind of behavior we want to see and see them do. You can see there's a picture here of what's probably a dad or a grandpa and a little one, and he's showing her on the guitar what he's doing, um, and she's looking to see what he's doing. This is really the kind of thing that we want to see with modeling. Now, here's the big asterisk. With folks on the spectrum, a lot of times you're going to sit there and you're going to think, I don't think that they notice. And I'm here to tell you that they do. You just may not see the result of it until significantly further down the line, but they do notice what you're doing. They absolutely do. So model the behavior of when somebody does something that makes you upset. And here's the other thing. You can also verbalize it and say, I'm really upset right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take three deep breaths and I'm going to see if I can't calm myself down a little bit. Not only will that help you in the moment, but I'm telling you, your children will learn from it. Um, so please take advantage of modeling all that you can because I think it's one of the greatest teaching methods that we have. 
Um, we've learned over the years that people are starting to make classes where they video model um, social behavior and what they see is that our kids on the spectrum learn so much from that. So be the first modeler at home, model for them what the kinds of things that you want them to learn and the kinds of ways that you want them to behave. So I hope this was helpful to you, but please take my advice from the beginning and go learn more about all of these things. And you can do that um, in many different ways, but the easiest way that I know of is, is doing the RBT training. It's a 40 hour training. You can do it at your own pace. And as I said, I did the one eye behavioral training, so I super love it, but it isn't free. And there is the uh, Autism Partnership Foundation, and I haven't actually been through that one, but I know many people who have and loved it, and it's free. You just can't beat free. And, and with both of them, you set your own pace and take however long that you want to do it. If you are actually going for the RBT, I think you have to complete it within 90 days. But if you aren't, if you're just doing it for your own edification, which I highly, highly, highly recommend, then um, go and do that. And, and Traven just put autismpartnershipfoundation.org on the screen. And I will tell you, the other one is ibehavioraltraining.org. I think it's .org. It might be .com. ibehavioraltraining.com, I think, um, that you can go to as well. This has been super fun because I know if you take these to heart, it's going to lead to all this progress for you and for your family. So I so appreciate it. Tune in tomorrow. Uh, and I'm sorry I didn't get to the questions because we were so focused on this, but I'll try to answer them in the chat. Um, but tomorrow we are back with Let's Talk Movies with Moira and Shannon. And we're we're going to take on some movies. It's going to be fun. I have, a, I have an opinion or three about some of them. And we're also going to talk about jury duty. If you haven't seen jury duty, make sure you tune in. Okay. Uh, until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. If you found anything helpful in this video, please give us a like. In fact, make sure that you smash that subscribe button on YouTube and give us a like on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram for important updates. And please download our free podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. See you next time.